I am the devil, and I am here to do the devil's work. anyone has ever like written fan fiction about themselves like real person fic not self-inserts but like it's about you yeah as like a public person (laughs) oh my god yeah wait like written it as if they were like trying to be like oh someone wrote fanfic about me or something i actually uh, now that i've asked it out loud i know the answer is yes and i know the person that did it is lin-manuel miranda I can just, I can just tell, like, I can just feel it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. He's definitely, like, tested some of his, like, stories that he's wanted to, like, write, like, for real, like, on fanfic Do you think he's ever done one that's, like, Alexander Hamilton x Lin-Manuel Miranda? (laughs) Where he gets, like, fucking railed by Hamilton. The real Hamilton. (laughs) I, like, think about that man just, like, against my will. Anyways. Yeah, he, um, I don't, he's, he's very scary. Um, um, welcome to the pod, guys. What's up? Uh, this is the podcast Rejects, of course, and I'm Spencer Jessoon, and sitting with Alaska Violet. What's up? Um, and we are starting a monster of a series. The series is going to be so absurdly long, we're going to be doing this for like three months. Yeah, it's going to be <laughs> for fucking ever. We'll probably be graduating before this is even done yeah, without a doubt yeah, yeah. um so this is a excruciatingly deep dive into fanfic yeah um hopefully um i think we'll get there i have a, a big trust in your research skills uh, a very complete history <laughs> of fan fiction i've done my best i have um I've done a lot of research. You have. I um, mean, you whipped out Britney as a first series. <laughs> I think this one's going to be incredible. <laughs> that was good planning, you know, seven episodes or however the fucking long that one was. Oh, Jesus. I can only do long series, apparently. Um, <laughs> so this topic is obviously, like, very near and dear to my heart. Of course. Yeah. <laughs> um, it actually, like, I got the idea because over the last... I don't know, month and a half, I have been pretty much exclusively reading Draco X Hermione fanfic. Yeah. Of which there is a plethora. There's so much. Of, like, insanely long fan fiction. Yeah. And I feel like you've read, like, 70% of it. I think I've read, like, most of it. I think the only ones I haven't read are the ones that I read the synopsis, and I'm like, that sounds stupid. Yeah. It's, or it's like, like that sounds sad. I'm not gonna read yeah, that. Yeah, it's, like, boring. Um, so I did want to do a series talking about Tremaine as a ship in general, mm-hmm. which I will be doing, uh, but that brought the idea of just doing first a full deep dive into the history and the culture of fan fiction. Um, I just feel like there is a lore that needs to be understood before you can really appreciate fan fiction as it is today. Yeah. Um, so basically the plan is to give you a history leading up to the introduction of the internet. Yes. And then from there, it's going to be a whole mess of going into different fandoms and different trends. We will talk like legality. We'll talk all of the major issues with fan fiction. Mm -hmm. I mean, generally, I really want to explore, 
like the social purpose of fan fiction, of which there is many social purposes. There's so much. Um, and the role fan fiction plays in like changing the world around us and especially changing how we view fiction mm-hmm. and how fiction is published, which has changed obviously drastically since like 2000. Yes, it And has. really as the internet has changed and grown. So... All of this should culminate, hopefully, in a pretty solid argument that fanfiction has value. Has a lot of value. Because throughout all of this research, the people who are writing about the history of fanfiction generally like fanfiction. It seems mostly positive. Mm-hmm. Uh, but there are a lot of negative opinions about fanfiction, and there are a lot of negative like connotations that come with it. Absolutely. Uh, so we're going to explore all of it. So first, I want to talk about my sources. I used so many fucking sources for this yeah. uh, that if I were to list them right now, it would be like having a fucking bibliography up top. Yeah. I'm not doing that. No. Um, so I did read the book Fic, Why Fan Fiction is Taking Over the World by Anne Jameson. Um, I thought you were going to say Anne Rice. Like it was like a <laughs> <laughs> like a propaganda against fanfic or something. They're like, <laughs> Anne Rice, god damn it. Um no, Anne Jameson, who is an associate professor of English at the University of Utah, who also writes fanfic. Oh, shout out Anne. I know. I Hot love her. Uh, her book is great. Um, if you really want just some good explanations of different fandoms, I highly recommend it. So I will be uh, referencing her book quite a lot. But other than that, the rest were like internet sources. So Wikipedia and like fan lore pages, articles, and YouTube videos. So mm-hmm. I basically plan to reference those when I get to them because they were used for very specific purposes. Um, And if I'm directly quoting, obviously, I will let you know what they are. Yeah. But again, I'm not going to list them up top because it would take way too long. Ridiculous. (laughs) (laughs) Um, So I want to start with what fan fiction is. Yes. Um, Because I feel like if you don't know what it is, this is going to be really confusing. Yeah, you're like, what the fuck? <laughs> so fan fiction is fiction written or fictional writing written in an amateur capacity that is based on an existing work of fiction. Yes. That is like the official definition. So this is usually people who like some sort of story, like they like a TV show or a book or whatever. And want to explore that world in their own way or want to, you know, write for characters that only got small portions or rewrite things that they didn't think were very good, Mm -hmm. a.k.a. fix it fix. Yeah. So it's just an exploration of somebody else's creation. Yeah. Generally. There are like other terms that have their own nuance, like adaption, sampling, appropriation, inspiration, and like homages. Mm -hmm. But I'm not really going to talk about those as different things from fanfic until we get to legal issues like they have their own nuances in from like a literary perspective and also like from a legal perspective but from my perspective we are talking only fanfic yeah there is also a term pastiche which refers to a literary piece that imitates a famous literary work by another um the main difference here being it doesn't have the word amateur in the definition. Oh. So these, uh, like the pastiche, you know, stories will feature copyrighted characters, settings, or intellectual properties from another creator, but they are written in a professional capacity. Okay. Um, so again, there is nuance there, but, uh, you know, and there's debates about whether or not there is even a difference. Mm-hmm. I am not going to differentiate between the two because I think the assumption that fan fiction is amateur in nature is like, 
honestly derogatory towards like fan fiction writers because yeah. amateur unless you're using it in the form of like they're not getting paid mm-hmm. you know it is just creation yeah. for the sake of creation like all writing is so just wanted to get that out of top so yeah. people are not like um this because i know there is and i don't care yeah i'm like well pastiche sounds like a french word and we hate the french so <laughs> a right off the top it's just disqualified and b yeah i feel like yeah amateur and professional that dichotomy has such like heavy like negative connotations mm-hmm. towards amateurs when it's like most of the time what it's yeah really supposed to mean is just whether or not you get paid for it right like, that's really the only difference right it has become like the idea of being a professional writer has become something that is tied heavily to ego mm-hmm. obviously we will unpack this in detail later when i talk about modern authors and their opinions of fan fiction but yeah. it is a term used to be like well i'm better than you because i'm a professional writer Ugh. and it's Ooh. like um you're not a doctor. Like you yeah. didn't have like formal training to do this. Like having a professional where it's like, oh yeah, yeah that, you know, they had to like spend years doing this. Like yeah. you can become a fucking professional. Look at Blanca Lipinski or whatever her Ugh. name is. <laughs> the fact that Blanca is technically a professional and we're technically amateurs because we haven't gotten paid for our content yet makes me, it boils my blood. Yeah. She doesn't deserve it. Which, by the way, I definitely pronounced her last name wrong because I can't remember how it's spelled off the top of my head. Oh, yeah. And it is a Polish last name, but she wrote 365 days. Right. Again, yes. something that I'm going to unpack in detail on our YouTube channel yeah, um, in the coming. next like, month or so. We're coming for you, Blanca. <laughs> um, but nevertheless, uh, I'm not differentiating So getting that out of the way, there are going to be a lot of terms that I need to define for you, but I decided not to do any of them up top other than canon Mm. because there are so many, like I started getting overwhelmed. I was like, we'll just cover them when we get to them. Right. This Um, is not a dictionary. Yeah. It's way too much. (laughs) I was like, there's so much like, like I said, fan fiction has its own lore Mm. and it is, it is deep. Um, So canon is the most important thing to know, which is basically canon refers to a collection of rules or texts that are considered to be authoritative. Mm. So canon is like within a story setting is something that actually happens in the story created by the author Mm -hmm. or whoever made it. Right. And then anything that happens in a different setting is non-canon or canon divergent. Right. Obviously, canon means less when we're talking about things that are like multiverse level or, you know, these huge topics that are like myths and whatnot. But um, with modern stuff, canon is very important. Yes. Um, And then in terms of fanfic, fanfic almost always exists to fuck with canon. Yeah. Um, (laughs) Obviously, that is like a generalization. There is fanfiction that is just written within canon. Mm -hmm. Um, But that's boring. And that's not what we're talking about. Yeah. Um, (laughs) the other thing that I want to talk about before we get into it, um, is fandom generally. Yes. So. Which is a loaded word. Yes, for sure. (laughs) So fandom refers to fans of a particular person, team, fictional series, or anything of this sort, um, regarded collectively as a sub community or a subculture. Mm -hmm. Um, so you could refer to like the Cowboys fans as a Cowboys fandom. (laughs) Like, that's, they are the Cowboys fandom. Um, There's a (laughs) constant war between the Catholic and Protestant fandoms. Yes. Um, Christianity is the biggest fandom in the world. (laughs) It really is. Um, But, you know, fandom generally as a term, you know, when most people use it, they're referring to, like, Marvel fans or, you know, some sort of modern 
content yes, that yeah. people are obsessed with. Mm-hmm. Um, but it can refer to any group of fans as a subcommunity or subculture. So I think to truly understand fan fiction, you need to have sort of a baseline understanding of fandom culture. Yes. Um, and obviously I'm going to really elaborate on this when we start getting into these like mega fandoms which start yeah. in, like the 60s and 70s and then obviously blow up once the internet exists and is widespread but fandom on its own um is contentious in a way yeah. especially modern day fandoms because of the relationship between fandoms and creators or um what is commonly called the powers that be (laughs) um i forget where it started but it is a thing that happened a lot and it just is a term that will show up like periodically the powers that be which is basically the creators or copyright owners or whomever (laughs) we're always trying to fight the man (laughs) (laughs) so i'm gonna pull a lot of this info from the article Why We Are Terrified of Fan Fiction by Constance Grady. Mm. So in 2016, Devin Farsi, I think, the editor of Birth Movies Death, which is basically a monthly magazine and film news website, which was created by Alamo Draft House, a oh. Texas company, wow. which is now owned by a Dallas-based media group for some reason, uh, which I was like trying to like look up this stuff and I was like, that's... Very weird. Anyway, so the editor of this um, film news website wrote this very dumb article called Fandom is Broken, where he essentially argues that fans and fandoms act like artists owe something to them as far as like their creation. Yeah. He talks about like the backlash to the all-female Ghostbusters reboot um, mm. the backlash to uh, when Captain America became a member of Hydra in the comics, oh, which yeah. I actually do remember when that uh, when the backlash happened be- that because people were like, oh, it's offensive, but it's like it's a story. Um, <laughs> it's, <laughs> like, it's fiction. Like uh, the backlash for that one, I was like, oh yeah, okay, that's like kind of interesting, but it's not like offensive necessarily because you do this to his character. Um, and also the give Elsa a girlfriend campaign. So he's basically uh. arguing that fandoms demand these things from artists and creators to be like catered to. So mm. they are going to add in these store, you know, elements of the story just to cater to fans. Okay. Um, which it has its own nuance to it. I mean, we look at, my Little Pony, which was, like, taken over by fandom. So yeah. the later seasons become something that is just, like, it's not even really made for kids anymore. Like, it's made for the fandom. Mm-hmm. Supernatural is the same way. Like, some of these, like, really long, you know, running things that have, like, really intense insulated fan fandoms. But for the most part, like, fandoms you know, have interest in these things and are not, <laughs> even if they're like, give Elsa a girlfriend, they're not, um, they don't have that relationship with Disney no. where Disney would be expected to cater to them. No. Um, so he also says about young fans, uh, which it's always fucking young fans. It's usually young women. Yeah. Um, that's teen young girls. fans is just like a dog whistle at this point for teenage girls. It really is. I think yeah. you will pick that up really quick in this and yeah. it is going to be the main theme, sexism generally, mm-hmm. has like a a big part in this. Yeah. Also, I just want to be like, <laughs> sexism. No, don't turn off the podcast. L- like, let me hear me. Let me hear me. Hear me <laughs> wait a second. Just wait one second. I'll explain in one minute. <laughs> Capitalism. Uh, <laughs> you know, young fans generally are just people hate young people. And then they also really hate teen girls. I hate them. And young women. So anything liked by them is... Um, 
<laughs> demonic. Um, yeah, it really is. So he talks about young fans in his dumb little article where he says, they seem uninterested in conflict or personal difficulty in their narratives. Look at the popularity of fanfic set in coffee shops or bakeries which posit the characters of a comic or TV show or movie they love as co-workers having sub-sitcom level interactions. Um, First of all, if you've never seen fights break out in a coffee shop, like I don't know what kind of like <laughs> s- like nice little like happy, pretty energy you think coffee shops have. They're always evil and dark. Right. I love them. I love being there, but there's always a baseline evil energy I'm in I'm like, have places. you never fought with a co-worker? That shit fucks you up yeah. especially in a <laughs> tiny confined space of like a freaking like coffee shop bar like or like mm-hmm. a bakery's like the behind the counter i'm like oh, where there's the a grand total of like 10 employees oh, so it's like yeah. real tense anyways um, we know someone who's not working class <laughs> yeah i was like this is a bad take for a lot of reasons um very much like grown man angry for fucking like trying to make an argument for something that's like he's just pissed about it because yeah. like it's fine if you don't like coffee shop AUs. Yeah. I don't like them either. Like, I will never read, um, you know, if I'm reading Germani Fix, I'm not going to read a muggle AU. Like, yeah. I'm not going to read those things where it's completely different from the world. Because in my opinion, when they're written well, I'm like, you could just you could just publish this. Yeah, like, you, you could straight up just book. change the name. Because I'm like, at some point, you've changed it so much that it is your own th- creation. Yeah. And I'm like, some people really enjoy those. It's just typically, you know, it's not my thing. Um, and it just is... I'm like, again, just yeah. publish it, babe. Like, just make money. Yeah. Um, but also to, it, it shows just like a misunderstanding of the important, like what you get from stories. Mm-hmm. So it makes it seem like, and I don't know anything about this man, um, but I just assume because he is writing these things that he's one of those men that is like, Pulp Fiction is the best movie ever made. Uh, <sighs> You're so right. You're and so like right. these kinds of things where it's like, stories don't have value unless they're hyper-violent or really intense. And it's Mm -hmm. like, they don't understand that you can write really fascinating uh, interpersonal drama in a story, in any setting, Mm -hmm. and it can be good. Yes. Uh, Which makes me think that they have bad takes in movies because a lot of times they'll be like, this movie's really good. And it's like, it's violent. And also, like, that's why you think it's good is because it's violent. Yeah. But none of the characters make sense and it's not interesting. It's not. And, like, nothing even happens. Mm-hmm. Like, I don't care about the characters. So, like, it's not good. Yeah. Like, the point is, like, interpersonal relationships. That's what makes stories good. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> like, come on. So, just overall, I would call this a very bad take. But I just thought it was, like, very interesting that he wrote this. And then, obviously, there were reactions all over the internet to this article. So, like... A lot of the other direct arguments to his article was, first, harassment is a problem all over the internet. It isn't reserved for fandoms. So while fandoms can go fucking, like, ravenous and devour their creators, you know, or turn against them for reasons that are not valid, you know, like, but, like, turning against an an author because they kill off a character and stuff. Right. But, like, that harassment can exist anywhere. Yeah, it can. Um, That mob mentality exists anywhere. It is not fandom specific. There was also like a pretty good response that fandom generally like as a you know whole thing isn't entitled like they don't act entitled to an artist and an artist creation but rather they're looking at art in a critical capacity mm-hmm. so you know trying to actually interact with art as a real living thing rather than just like something created by someone else that just exists and you just take it in and it does nothing to you right which makes art useless yeah the whole point of stories is connection between humans so it is a living thing as it exists i would say 
about the critical, them being critical of the uh, art that they consume. Sometimes they can be overcritical. This yeah. is not an argument that Devin made, the cre- the editor of Births, Movies, Deaths, but they there can be a lot of discourse in fandom. For sure. Again, we'll, we'll unpack this just in fan fiction culture, really. But I think that that was like a pretty good argument back to this, that it's like fandom, they're interacting with art as a living thing. And fan fiction is the perfect example of that, where you are taking a story and then turning it into a community-driven thing. Yes. Um, so this seems to be like the standard argument that we see again and again um, about the morality of fan fi- like the morality of fandom and in turn fan fiction, mm-hmm. um, which always like when I was writing this episode, it made me think of like growing up in the church and hearing like, don't worship like false idols or whatever. And it is right. so much of it feels like it's like just a way to like punish people who are interested in anything. But again, it really focuses on like young women and teen girls. Like mm-hmm. they, anything that they do needs to be dissected. And then that needs to be, addressed at a like moral level yeah so it's like when girls were into twilight we kept seeing all of these like think pieces about how twilight is bad because it's encouraging girls to get into abusive relationships like it needed to be it couldn't be it's bad because it was written poorly or it's bad because it's racist against natives yes like it's it's bad because they have a character that fought in the confederate army and it is never unchallenged yeah like there are tons of reasons that you could criticize twilight but it was never that it was always like a moral issue directed at teen girls like of it Mm -hmm. they like edward because he's a pussy because he's like whatever Mm -hmm. they wanted to argue against i'm very um very much like a soapbox topic for me is how critical grown adults were of Twilight when it yeah. was like first in its heyday um, and then seeing it over and over and over again um, to the point where now if someone is just immediately hates Twilight, I assume that they're sexist as a baseline. Absolutely. And then I have to hear their reasons to go back on that because honestly, I'm like, even when like women do it, it's almost always some sort of like internalized sexism. Oh, it absolutely is because I I have a lot of um, people that I know who have just a baseline of like, oh, I don't like Twilight or I think it's just bad, but I know they've never seen it. I know they've never like you know read the books or anything. And we're both of like kind of like opposite ends of that kind of age range, but the age range that people were like obsessed with Twilight, like we were there when it was like, you know, coming out and everyone around us was like, you know, reading it and such. And it's like, and so I just know it comes from like a place of just like, you were the right age to enjoy this kind of content, but because we caught so much backlash and so much like bullying basically in our age group, you didn't feel like you could read it or like get into it or whatever. And then are now using that to like shit on people who did. And it's like, it's fine. Like it's not your fault that you felt like, you know, you didn't want to read it because of all the shit that was going on. Or if you just didn't want to read it at all, it's just not interesting to you. Yeah. But then to like turn around and like say that about something that you have no idea about. You didn't read the books. You didn't watch the movies. Right. Like, so what are you talking from? Like there's, it just comes from a baseline thing of ignorance. Right. And, and then like, just like, you know, regurgitating these are these like arguments of it's mad because of moral reasons, et cetera, et cetera. Yeah. Um, and, you know, especially like Twilight is obviously, it's probably going to get its own episode in this series because it is one of the mega fandoms. Yes. Um, and has led to like a huge change in literature 
at all. Yeah. Um, actually, a lot of stuff that I didn't even know, and I've been... I read Twilight when New Moon wasn't even out yet. Yeah. Like, I've been that kind of Twilight fan mm-hmm. forever. Um, but uh, we'll get into that, you know, into, a, like, a deep dive of it. But it is a great example of how fandoms are mm-hmm. attacked. And then even more than that, it's, you know, dissecting everything that is done from, like, a moral perspective. Failing to realize that it's, like, it's not just about the stories. It's about community. Yeah. Twilight has become something way bigger than, like, Stephanie Meyer ever thought it would be. Oh, absolutely. That anyone ever thought. You know, it's especially with the Twilight Renaissance. Regardless, we're going to get into that. Yeah. We've got uh, so much Can't get too time. far off topic. Um, so back to the argument that is heard again and again. So the general argument first against it goes. Mm-hmm. Um, and again, I'm taking this from the article... Uh, why we're terrified of fan fiction mm. by Constance Greedy. So, general argument goes: a fandom is a mess of nerds and is either juvenile in nature or completely self-absorbed. So, sort of the opinion of only my opinion is correct, and anyone that disagrees with me is bad. Yep. See uh, anti-shippers in our yeah. later episodes. Um, all fanfic is slash, which is a term we're going to get into later, but slash is basically smut between same-sex characters. Uh. Um, fandom is just a group of horny teen girls writing smut and borderline illiterate fanfiction, which is wrong for moral, aesthetic, and legal reasons. Um, and then legal. finally... <laughs> Why write about someone else's character when you can write your own? So these are the arguments against fandom and fan fiction specifically that we hear over and over and over again. Like the most lukewarm take. Honestly, I'm like, it's fucking ice cold. And the counterpoints um, that this person lays out, fandom is not a monolith. So again, these sorts of like behaviors within fandoms don't exist just in fandoms they exist in humans altogether yeah um all fandoms are different and people are different like it's it's not a monolith Mm -hmm. honestly um some fans especially like there is a big difference between fans who like to memorize trivia so Mm -hmm. these are people who are like really into learning elvish you know centauran from lord of the rings uh, you know or just obsessively learning everything they can about canon and then some fans are transformative in nature so mm-hmm. they like to write fan fiction draw fan art make fan videos they like to interact with their art in a transformative fashion yeah and these are very different fans and both are great yeah and both exist in basically all fandoms mm-hmm. can't be reduced to just like one general thing uh fan fiction writers are mostly women not teenage girls a lot of them are adults yeah. um <laughs> regardless they do, you know, people who write fan fiction span in ages from tweens to grown adults, like professionals and stuff. So reducing it just to teen girls or adult gay men, like these groups of people that they need to punch down at is yeah. just inaccurate to begin with. Absolutely. Not all of the fan fiction is smut. No. And even if it was, there's nothing explicitly wrong with that. If no. you want to write smut, like, go for it. Yeah. Have a great time. But to reduce again fan fiction just to smut and just to splash mud is not only um homophobic but also just like it's not even right yeah um <laughs> and the last counter argument provided is fic writers are not wasting their time they could be spending developing original work they are enjoying a hobby yeah and again this is all going to culminate my argument that fan fiction is correct mm-hmm. it is good yeah um it has value it has value and the argument that they are wasting their time by writing about other characters has so many counter arguments that it will be its own episode. Yeah, it will. <laughs> Literally. Yeah. Um, 
But, you know, this argument goes back and forth. So we have these like counterpoints that I think are pretty strong. But again, we're going to hear the same lukewarm takes over and over and over again, but especially the one about writing with somebody else's characters. Yes. um, And why that's bad. And we're going to see that most explicitly, obviously, with creators. Mm -hmm. Um, Because a lot of times they can have bad opinions. (laughs) They really can. People love just like throwing around their misinformation about copyright law (laughs) just like whenever they feel like it right or wielding copyright law as like punishment yes um again see the Anne Rice incident in I think two episodes Ooh, (laughs) we're gonna get there quick so like I said obviously this argument has been happening back and forth and for so long not just in the age of the internet but in an article written for the New York Times In 1986, so she, the author uh, of this article, was writing about the Star Trek fandom. Mm. Um, And she wrote, male fans of the show generally balk at the restriction and prefer to engage in activities such as costuming or crafts for which payment is not a traditional reward. Women who traditionally spend large portions of their lives working in relative isolation for little little or no pay bring a different set of motivations to their writing and art. They want to talk to other women to express themselves in the science fiction form. They want to talk to other women to express themselves in the science fiction form that until recently has all but excluded them. The writers cannot sell their work, but they don't have to to meet commercial criteria for success either. They must please only the predominantly female Star Trek fan community. So, you know, this argument really boils down to, like, literally sexism. Yep. These ideas of um, being against the way women interpret uh, art versus men. Again, that is like such a big uh, generalization because it's just not true. Like women, uh, you know, people are just different. Everybody is different. Mm -hmm. But, um, you know, you're going to see a lot of these arguments like boil down to that idea. And I think the like other reason that we see this derogatory view of the transformative nature of fandom is because this transformative fan archetype, uh, it skews heavily towards women and people of color and members of the queer community. Mm -hmm. So Lord Byronic, a Reddit user who coined the term transformative and curative uh, when discussing fandom. So Mm. curative is referring to the type of fan that just wants to like learn all of the stuff in canon that I talked about earlier. Right. He said, because the majority of professionally made media is catered towards a straight white male demographic, leaving little room for outsiders, outsiders who, if they wanted to see themselves in media, have to attack it and change it. Mm-hmm. Hence, slash fic. Hence, long essays claiming that Hermione Granger is black. Hence, headcanons about trans characters or gender queer characters. Yeah. So a lot of this fan fiction, you know, exists in a way for these people to see themselves in stories that have explicitly excluded them. Absolutely. Yeah. I mean, for a long time, um, myself as an Asian woman, most of the uh, like representation that I got was Mulan, Avatar The Last Airbender, and fan fiction. That yeah. was like when people would like fan cast like random Asian actors from mm-hmm. like Korea and China, 
even though like they don't speak English or they would never be in an American work or whatever. It's just like our only chance to like have something that like related to us like at all. Right. So Elizabeth Minkle um, made a similar argument in The New Statesman saying, my preferred explanation is the idea that the vast majority of what we watch is from the male perspective, authored, directed, and filmed by men, and mostly straight white men. Fan fiction gives women and other marginalized groups the chance to subvert their that perspective, to fracture a story and recast it in their own way. It often feels as if there isn't much space for difference in the dominant culture narratives. In fandom, by design, there is space for all. I really love that quote. (laughs) I was like, that is is a very good explanation. Yeah. And so, you know, the message that we are seeing from people who hate on fan fiction, hate on phantom, um, is, you know, very clear in these pseudo arguments they're making about why fan fiction is bad, which is... Fandom in general is weird and confusing and potentially immoral and maybe dangerous. Transformative (laughs) fandom, in particular, the kind of fandom filled mostly with women, is weirder and more confusing, almost definitely immoral, also gross and maybe dangerous. That is a direct quote from the article that I've been pulling all this information from. (laughs) Um, So, of course, anything made for women is morally wrong uh, because... Uh, women are bad and they have to make logical argument because you know how men are always like um just like really logical and then they like just skew their own brain to their own biases yeah and then they create arguments to back that up Mm -hmm. and then they claim they're logical because they came up with them but it's like it's not logical just because like you said it in like fucking ben shapiro like yeah you know that logic means nothing. So, it, which young women have always been um, attacked in general. That's why we see this like really intense sexism where women had no rights and uh, will always seem as lesser. Even like you look at the Bible and Eve was only created from Adam as sort of like a creationist thing where it's like, oh, but yeah, women create all humans, but the first woman was created by a man. It's like, great. Um, And it's just like, where's your basic biology now? You know, (laughs) like the basic biology you guys always bring up when we have two gender talks, but suddenly people can just be born from people's ribs. Right. I'm like, have you guys read anything in the Omega verse? I think you might like it. Um... (laughs) Don't tell them about nodding. Impreg. I don't know. But, you know, the, this argument against women uh, being morally wrong, like I said, it has existed forever. But it was especially funny. Uh, there is this quote from a pastor in 1864 who was talking about how the greatest threat in the world to young women is the novel. He said, I have seen a young lady with her table loaded with volumes loaded said loaded twice wow uh loaded of fictitious trash pouring day after day and night after night over highly wrought scenes and skillfully portrayed pictures of romance until her cheeks grew pale her eyes became wild and reckless and her mind wandered and was lost the light of intelligence passed beyond a cloud and her soul was forever benighted she was insane, incurably insane from reading novels. <laughs> the chokehold that, like, realism has on men is, like, <laughs> insane. And the way it, like, permeates in, like, every single thing that they do and everything that they think. Like, they can't even approach art. Like, I was just trying to, as you were saying that, like, think of examples of, like, male artists and, like, 
they always have to have some sort of touch, if not like mostly realism in there. And anytime that a man has like deviated from that and like gone away from realism, he's been like taken down and like, you know, accused of like not being an artist and stuff. Like I'm thinking of like Vincent Van Gogh's like art versus Mm -hmm. like now, like men are always obsessed with like photography or like realism tattoos, you know, things like that. And I'm like, can't you just like have fun? Yeah. Like why does everything have to be some sort of attachment to your, your perception of reality? Right. Uh, which is not even true. Most of the time they're like accusing things of not being real and it's like, they still are, even if they're fiction. Anyways, that's the yeah. whole thing. But it's just like, can you just, oh my God. And it God. exists even within like an all male group of people oh, where yeah. it's like men who are exclusively into war movies yes. look down on men who are into comic book movies. Yeah. Absolutely. Or fantasy and anything, you know, it's yeah. like men who are into Lord of the Rings, Star Wars, what have you are seen as lesser to men who are into sports and war movie. Yeah, absolutely. I'm like, what is the difference between a war movie, which is a piece of art about something real, versus like a comic book, which is like a piece of art, like about a lot of times about war and stuff. Right. Like, it's just a few people, a few characters that you can attach to. Like, I'm thinking of the Avengers and, like, Captain America. But a lot of that stuff is about war. Like, it's it takes place in, like, basically real-life wars. And it's like, how is it any different just because you have a few characters that you, like, focus on that happen to have superpowers versus a few characters right, that or they're in could space. be anybody. Yeah. Or they're, like, you know, elves. Exactly. I'm like, Star Wars. The other part is wars. <laughs> right. Like, it's the same. Like, oh, my God. It's it's shows, like, a real um, lack of understanding and, like, being able to interpret metaphor. Yeah, absolutely. Regardless. Um, <laughs> Men need to go back to, like, fourth grade English class. <laughs> Having a hard time. Um, I just got a flashback of being in high school and I was in this like class, English class where we had a prompt that was like, does art have value? Yes or no. And there was a guy sitting next to me who was like, I remember his name. I'm not going to say it. Mm. Uh, I almost did. Cause I was like, oh yeah, this guy, let me say his full name. Um, I'd have to learn how to beep things. Yeah. <laughs> Um, but he was on the football team and he wrote like, you know, no, like no explanation needed. and was like cackling with his friend next to him. And I was like, remember watching this happen being like, y'all men, you really don't have any thoughts, huh? They have not a single thought runs through their brains. Right. Like, and then you all. criticize sports and they're like, don't talk about things you don't understand. <sighs> and I'm like, I unfortunately do understand. Yeah. More than I want to. Yes. Most of which I've learned against my will. I, I know so much sports knowledge just fucking against my will. <laughs> just like learned it with a knife to my throat. <laughs> Honestly. <laughs> yeah. like, You're going to know the names of football players. I'm like, ah, please. <laughs> like, uh, like You have to know all of their stats and stuff. And I'm like, I please whatever you've got going on in your fantasy football teams i don't care <laughs> like i don't understand they're like memorize these numbers <laughs> they're like memorize the towns they're from <laughs> every single sports team they've ever even thought about <laughs> god damn it I'm like please again i'm just gonna read another direct quote from this article that i've been talking about Historically, whenever young women are interested in a form of media, we like to tell them that it's bad for them and that they are bad for liking it, unless the media goes mainstream, in which case it becomes no longer feminine and hence okay. Novels are dangerous and cause insanity until they become classics worthy of being studied in college. Beatlemania is the province of the dull, the idle, the failures, until the Beatles become a band that everyone loves. Yes. Period. I'm like, that... (laughs) is the sentence. It was like, I could not have explained it better myself. Um, you know, that article is so good. Well, uh, you know, 
post about it on our Instagram, of course, because I read that and I was like, this is my favorite thing I've ever read. Um, A great takedown. Um, But, you know, I think that this is an important theme to understand before we even talk about fan fiction. Like I said, we haven't even, we're in the introduction right now. Um, This is the introduction episode. (laughs) Okay, this thing is going to be a beast. It's going to be so long. So I think understanding that general theme as we go forward is really important and just understanding generally that fan fiction is very contentious it is a contentious subject yeah and like i said i've said many times it has a deep lore all on its own it has a culture of its own so it's like fan fiction exists within fandoms but fan fiction as a whole you know has its own community yeah i mean fan fiction has its own wikipedia page like fan wiki Mm -hmm. is like its own thing like no, not even a Wikipedia page. I'm sorry. I misspoke. Their own Wikipedia. Yeah. You know what I mean? Like, we have Wikipedia for anything we want to know, like, just as general people. Fans have their own freaking entire yeah. site just for the lore of, like, fan fiction. Right. Like, shit is big. Like, fanlore.org yeah. or whatever. Like, it's insane. So I just want to read this quote from Fic, why fan fiction is taking over the world. Mm-hmm. Uh, fan writers call it playing in someone else's sandbox or borrowing someone's toys. I call it writing. Yeah. Opponents call it stealing, and I call that bullshit. Period. <laughs> um, so with that, we are going to move into our history before, you know, as we build to my final argument, which is going to happen over the next several weeks. Yeah, um, we have no idea even how many episodes this is going to no, be. No, we won't know till the end. But in the meantime, uh, allow me to make my case. <laughs> so let's start pre-internet history. Yeah. So... Fan fiction has existed for as long as people have been telling stories. Yep. You know, as long as you can possibly remember. Obviously, people used to tell stories just like as a spoken word to each other, and they would be passed down, not even in a written context. And every single time it was retold, it would often be changed by whoever was telling the story. Mm-hmm. To Consciously or not. Yeah. Right. And again, see, fix it, fix. Like, (laughs) things maybe they didn't like about it, and then they changed it. Mm -hmm. You know, we even see that with the Bible, where it gets edited every time there's a new king. You know, it it has all of these changes. People make derivative works of stories, and they have been forever. Mm -hmm. Like the way that they edited the Bible to get rid of the talk about pedophilia. Mm -hmm. They made it about gay people instead. Can't imagine why they would want to do that. We want to keep our pedophilia. So (laughs) they did a little fix it. (laughs) They did a little, like, um, you know, revision. Just to make sure that gay people would get the stink. <laughs> Anyways. You know, got to keep that pedophilia in there, of course. <laughs> God. So stories for a long time were held as a community asset rather than just belonging to one creator and one storyteller. Really, this doesn't exist as an idea until we get copyright law. Yeah. So, it, it, you know, for most of human history, stories belonged to the collective rather than uh, one person. So I think when we're talking about like fan fiction generally, you know, existing forever, we can look to the Bible, of course. Yes. As we've talked about many times already in this episode. I got this from an article from Star Trek to Super Hulak, A Brief History of Fan Fiction. Oh. Christianity is more or less a fanon, fan canon, birthed from the New Testament, which is itself a Jesus-centric fanfic sequel to the Old Testament written by Jesus's biggest fans, the apostles. <laughs> that's so fucking funny. I was going to cry. I was like, that is, yeah, that's correct. <laughs> um, you know, and you can even talk about the Book of Mormon and how that is fan fiction about Jesus coming to America. Yep. Um, 
<laughs> there is so much Bible fan fiction, and a lot of this is considered classics today. So we look at like Dante's Inferno, yeah. Um, Pierce Plowman, which is about the seven deadly sins as real people. Paradise Lost, which is a poem concerning the biblical story of the fall of man. So it's like the temptation of Adam and Eve Mm -hmm. by the fallen angel Satan um, in the Garden of Eden. Yeah. Um, These are all classic literature now, but it's like they are fan fiction. They are. Also, like most classic literature just generally is taken from something else. Like it borrows from myths, legends, or religions. So one of the biggest ones would be the Iliad and the Odyssey by Homer, which is one of the most famous stories of all time. The Mm -hmm. epic poem that was written, I don't know, like 700 BCE is basically what I found online. But again, it's, you know, things that old, I think it's pretty hard to like map out. Um, So there's so much fan fiction about this. I mean, it's still being retold today, obviously, and these could be just derivative retellings but even in its own time it had real fan fiction one of the most famous ones being Aeneid by Virgil Mm. uh, which was written in 29 to 19 BC um, and tells the story of a character from the Iliad who fled after the Trojan War so it is considered an epic poem in its own right and when you look it up it is not considered fanfic but it is based on a character created by Homer with his own little story and his own little adventure. It yeah. is, if it was written today, it would be considered fanfic. Absolutely. And I got some of this research from Jill Pierup's videos on the history of fanfic. She did like an eight part series uh, where she said, Virgil was a fanboy, not just before it was cool, but before it was even dorky. <laughs> We don't know for sure. I mean, there could have been some bullies out there being like, you are such a dorky little dorky (laughs) fanboy. Another one uh, would be Telegony, which is actually a lost ancient epic poem. Oh, wait. So they found it? Um, Well, we know what it's like about, but, you know, there's no like written history of it. Oh, okay, okay. Uh, But we know what it is. Okay, okay. (laughs) I'm just making a joke, but it's fine. Uh, which is about the son of Odysseus. Uh, and it is written basically as a sequel to the Odyssey. You know, this is one of many. I just thought this one was particularly funny because I'm like, it is just straight up a sequel. He was like, oh, it's, uh, you know, Odysseus's son. And like, as if you would look at any fan fiction now, there's often stories where it's like a reader insert. Uh, but the reader insert is the child or sibling of a character that already exists in canon. So you mm. read like a Harry Potter fanfic and it's like Snape's daughter doing this. And you're like, okay, I don't want to be related to him um, <laughs> because I'm reading fan fiction where I am with him. So that would be really weird. Yeah. Um, just personally. And I don't, I don't really want to have kids. So I don't <laughs> want a daughter. <laughs> it's really only like, you know, these stories, obviously, um, some of them have been lost over time. But for the most part, these stories are considered classics. And I think really it's only recently that people started to look down on derivative works as something as lesser rather than like evaluating them for their own merits or whether we even like them as content. Uh, fan fiction is never evaluated from that lens, you mm-hmm. know, in the way that like classic novels and these, you know, epic poems that were taken from other epic poems are. Yeah. Even more than that, we could talk about uh, there's so much content in it that it could be like its own series. So we're not going to do that. But uh, King Arthur, the legend of King Arthur is another one that is retold over and over again. This one is um, unique sort of in its 
in the way that it's not a single canon, so it doesn't exist as one story, mm. but is instead basically a multiverse of King Arthur's because it is told so many times uh, that there is no original. Sick. But I think even with these legends that we hear over and over again, anything written about them basically is fan fiction. And to differentiate is just to show that you like have no respect for fan fiction today and you think it's bad because copyright law? Yeah. I don't know. I don't know. Shakespeare was also heavily known for writing fan fiction. Um, Some people would also call it stealing, and I might do that occasionally. Yeah, Yeah, maybe we'll make that argument. (laughs) Um, So people, you know, they say it's more of an adaption, but basically he was taking characters and stories from authors of the, like, time. People would write books or short stories, and he would just straight up steal them and write them into his place. So, like, Romeo and Juliet... Uh, Much Ado About Nothing, Othello, uh, As You Like It, and The Winter's Tale were all based on fiction by other authors. Yeah. So, I mean, some of the best work is based is fan fiction. Yeah, if you really think about it, Shakespeare was just like a comedy writer. Like, Mm -hmm. he was just there to invent like funny little phrases and, you know, make, you know, that kind of like inventiveness. But yeah, he wasn't like a story maker right he just took other stories and was like i can do a fun little spin on it right because i'm like he wrote originals but most of those are not uh considered very good so before we get into the 1700s obviously a lot of this stuff happened bc and then dante's inferno like these sort of things happen in the 1400s but so before we get into the next century uh we're gonna take uh, the first of a few copyright law breaks um obviously i'm going to unpack like the full legality of fan fiction much later but obviously the way literature is examined changes based on the laws Mm -hmm. that have been enacted so um fanfic as a term, you know, as a term didn't exist in the 1900s, but it doesn't exist as anything really. Uh, everything else is just derivative works of its own until copyright law is introduced. Mm. So copyright law creates fanfic. Uh. So in 1710 in England, the Statute of Anne was passed, yeah. uh, which is like the first copyright law, which gave authors the right to their own work for a period of 14 years. Mm-hmm. It didn't address any sort of protections for concepts such as characters or fictional universes. This is very, very like you have a right to the thing you wrote down. Yeah. And that is it. Yeah. Like people can't just like take your work and print it and like sell it. That was it. Yeah. Yeah. It was very, very limited. So it didn't talk about like writing stuff with character. You know, it was very minimal. Mm -hmm. But it is the first, you know, introduction of this. So we see this like change happen here first where stories become less collaborative and more about author's creation. So like author seen as like super mega creative and important. Mm-hmm. Um, this is just going to increase over time, but it really starts here. Um, and before this, authors were trying to use basically like public shaming to prevent others from profiting off what they regarded as their own intellectual property. But obviously this had very little success. And even after the passing of this law, still had very little success. Um <laughs> Say we're just trying to be like, don't do that, please. (laughs) But like, it it meant nothing. Mm -hmm. So some of like the 1700s fanfic comes from some of the, you know, most of it comes from Gulliver's Travels, uh, which was published in 1726. Uh, I got some of this information from Shannon Chamberlain's article for The Atlantic titled, Fan Fiction was just as sexual in the 1700s as it is today. 
great title. Love that. (laughs) Um, that. So not long after Gulliver's Travels was published, readers started to imagine the main character in various circumstances that either were briefly alluded to in the text or they just invented themselves. Yeah. And again, just like it is today, the more shocking the revision, the better. Hell yeah. (laughs) A lot of this early stuff took the form of like fan art. Mm. So people drawing and, you know, painting, whatever. Mm -hmm. But there were hundreds of fan authored works that also followed. One of the most popular ones was a parody style series of poems by Alexander Pope about the main character's wife who was barely mentioned in the original who was like very put out by her husband not um you know completing his duties as a husband at home Mm. um you know and this is just one of many that became extremely popular probably if you were a fan of Gulliver's Travels which I don't know anyone IRL that is um I have never read it I never will very mixed feelings on that book (laughs) yeah um but you know these are like very famous works of art in their own right um and then also with the book pamela which was published in 1740 Mm. which is not a book i was familiar with no um but it had a lot of fan fiction and it was very sexual in nature hell yeah so after the book was published which is basically the book is about a maid who is at a isolated country estate and has to like resist her boss like coming on to her um so people of course wrote scenarios uh where instead of resisting she gives in wholeheartedly (laughs) naturally um so one of the main people was henry fielding who was actually critical of the original author samuel richardson because he thought Richardson was too puritanical in his writing. Uh, so he wrote several fanfics, one where Pamela is only pretending to be a shrinking violet to increase the desires of her boss. Mm. So playing a little little game with him. In Shamala, he constructed an AU where Pamela and her mom create a plan to actually entrap the boss. Interesting. Um, <laughs> He then went on to write Joseph Andrews, which was a full-length, gender-swapped version of the story in which Pamela's naive brother resists the seduction attempts of an older, land-owning lady, uh, the original Squire's sister. So, Mommy Kink. Wow. (laughs) Is this one available on AO3? (laughs) Um, Shannon, from the article that I was mentioning, uh, refers to him as the E.L. James of his time. Period. (laughs) It's so fun. Um, I that is hilarious to me, and I feel like I would probably do the same thing if I was alive. Then I would read that and I'd be like, "Give in, babe. Like, yeah. just have sex with him. Just like, who cares? Just see what happens. Maybe he's good at it." <laughs> so the 1700s, the 18th century, these novels like really changed literature. Mm-hmm. Um, a lot of people talk about like the beginning of realism as a general like. Uh, idea so it was less like these like myths and these crazy stories and more about like regular people like commonplace people rather than heroics about like nobility or royalty Mm -hmm. um but it you know it wasn't so much about a shift to like real characters um as it was to a shift to like real as in they could be plausibly a real person Mm -hmm. so Mm -hmm. it's like they're not the you know the reader knows they're not real but you're reading about them and you're like, yeah, I could know this person in real life. Like yeah. they seem like a 3D character person. Right. Um, which obviously allowed for a lot more emotional attachment to characters themselves. Um, so before it was just like 
really high level myths and retellings and stuff where, you know, what you're getting in the 17th century is people growing attached to one specific character and wanting to explore their life. Um, And nothing shows this better than Sherlock Holmes, um, (laughs) which is Sherlock Holmes has been a ravenous fandom from the very beginning. Mm-hmm. Um, and later on, when we unpack various fandoms, we will get into Sherlock as a show and the Sherlock fandom later. But when it was published in 1892 um, by Arthur Cannon Doyle, Conan Doyle, Cannon. <laughs> Cannon. <laughs> by Arthur Conan Doyle, um, it was hugely popular. Yes. Um, it basically started the genre of like solving crimes yeah. and stuff. And, you know, it was popular for good reason. It had these very like notable characters. Um, <laughs> yeah. And, you know, characters that people loved and loved how they interacted with everybody else. Mm-hmm. Um, I had a fat crush on James Moriarty. It was like that evil guy. Yeah, like, oh, for oh, sure. Yeah. For sure. <laughs> so fans of the time, you know, this really created the first like fandom. They would like argue about what works were and weren't canon. They had these like little fan groups and stuff. They would write angry letters to um, Doyle and stuff. And then when Doyle kills off Sherlock Holmes, mm-hmm. uh, spoiler alert, but these books were published in the 1800s. When he killed them off, he ag- there were actually like protests outside of his house. Yeah. Uh, they would wear like black armbands and be like mourning Sherlock. And oh. they were like bringing back. I'm like these... The Sherlock fans have been crazy from the get-go. Yeah. I mean, newspapers even ran obituaries for this fictional character. Yeah. Like, that is how intense people were about this. Um, And so, of course, there was, like, tons of fan fiction. Uh, So one of them is The Misadventures of Sherlock Holmes, which was published in 1944, which is basically just a collection of fan fiction. Mm. The first, like, fanzine, if you will. (laughs) Again, we'll unpack that in the next episode, but that was, like, one of the big ones. Doyle even encouraged, like, some of the writers who wrote this fanfic and sent it to him to publish their own stuff. So one of them... Doyle responded to the author with, Dear Sir, I read your story. It is not bad, and I don't see why you should not change the names and try to get it published yourself. Of course, you could not use the names of my characters. And was literally just like, change the names and publish it, babe. Like, yeah. <laughs> But he also offered as a side thing to buy the story from this author um, because he didn't collab, like Doyle didn't collaborate with other authors because basically it would have lowered his pay buy like a lot from the publishers. I don't really, I didn't really understand the like what a commanding price is and stuff, but he had good reason to not collaborate, but he did offer to buy the idea, um, which the author took him up on. Like he was like, yeah, I'll let you, like you can buy it. But before he bought it, he also again recommended that he publish it himself. He was yeah. like, you can just publish Like it's good, publish yeah. it yourself. But the author didn't want to do that. So this fanfic was purchased by Doyle and eventually published under his name, which I just thought was very funny. Like imagine yeah. if like, Fifty Shades of Grey was published by Stephanie Meyer. <laughs> so gender swapping um, also was a big thing in this. So uh, as I mentioned before with the Pamela stories, uh, so this is swapping a character's gender. It often occurs in the process of like remaking or reimagining a story. Um, a lot of times this is also referred to as like gender bending, although gender bending is 
more of a non-binary term or someone dressed as another gender. Right. Um, whereas like gender swapping is like you straight up just are changing the gender of a character. Yeah. So like this was really common back in the day. Like people were writing stories of fan fiction of Sherlock Holmes. Um, and we see it continue today with like elementary, mm-hmm. which was, um, you know, a Sherlock Holmes adaption where Watson is a woman. Yeah. Played by the lovely Lucy Liu. Yes. Um, <laughs> God, love her. So, you know, this was like the biggest, uh, the really beginning of like the biggest fandom and fandom as we know it today. And how crazy they were to the author. I think at yeah. some point, you know, he was always sort of indifferent, I think, to fan fiction. But I think at some point he probably hated these characters. <laughs> um, and, you know, it allowed a lot of people to create a lot of things, obviously. We will, like I said earlier unpack the Sherlock fandom later. It's probably going to get at least half an episode just to itself because the fandom in general has crazy lore and the interactions between the powers that be and the fandom is insane. So like I said, uh, we will get into the Sherlock fandom. We will unpack it because it is an insane fandom. It has so much just fandom lore, not even Sherlock lore. Yeah. Um, it will also play a part in our legality episode because there is a very interesting case about Sherlock Holmes that oh. exists within that. But before we get there, we will move into the 1900s in our next episode. Yeah. Where we will finally introduce fan fiction as a term to the collective unconscious yeah. and true fan fiction as we know it today will emerge. Yes, it will blossom. Yes. <laughs> All right, guys. Thanks for hanging out for this intro episode. Um, check back with us every week. We're going to have more and more <laughs> and more of this shit coming out for the near future. Yes, we will try and give like uh, pretty good titles on our Instagram so you can know what the episodes are about. Um, so if there is an episode where you're like, I really am not fucking interested in that. Yeah. You just skip it for a week. Skip wait it. for the next one. Um, yeah. But yeah, we'll see you next week. All right. Bye. The Podcast Rejects is a Gamer Frauds Network production. Find us on Instagram at The Podcast Rejects. For early access to all Gamer Frauds Network content and a ton of exclusive perks, join our Patreon at patreon.com slash gamerfrauds.